You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. I'm going to open in prayer before I get started. So let's, let's just close our eyes and just let's be still. Lord Jesus, as we come before you and come before your word, we ask that you would just pierce our hearts with the truth of your word. May your, your light and your glory and your majesty shine into every deep and dark crevice of our soul and our mind and our spirit. May your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword come and cut away all that is old and reveal the new that you have for us, Lord Jesus. We are open and we are ready to receive from you. Amen. Can someone just shut that door down the back, please? Thank you. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1, you might like to open up and read along. We're going to be continuing our series out of the book of Mark today. So Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, a people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat and the, the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to, he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're continuing our series on authority. And uh, if you're here for part one, we talked about how Jesus comes into the world with the authority to teach you a new way of living and a, a new way of being human. And that in Jesus, the rule and reign of God has come near. And then part two, 
we looked at the unseen forces of evil that corrupt and distort and bring chaos into God's good creation. And we looked at how Jesus is stronger than the strong man. And he's stronger than evil and he enters into this world to, to rescue and take possession of us from the enemy. And if you missed out on one of the handouts from, from that uh, that sermon I've got some extra ones down the back or if you missed out on the sermon and and I really recommend go back get online and have a listen to it grab one of the handouts and have a listen because this stuff is is key it's integral to our our daily walk and our daily life and our daily ministry with people and and all of all of uh, the things that I'm saying today build on some of the things that I've previously said so I encourage you jump online get a handout and have a listen Today, part three, Jesus is one with authority over sin. Of course, as people, we are broken by sin, unable to live out God's plan for us and his creation. Uh, But Jesus comes into the world bringing forgiveness and freedom to the brokenness inside of us. And so, you know, we all begin, we all begin with the great sin problem, don't we? We all begin here. We all begin like this man that we read about in Mark chapter 2. We begin paralyzed by our sin, broken, damaged, unable to fix ourselves. Let's read to you a quote from uh, some people called the Bible Project. Has anyone come across the Bible Project online? Bibleproject.com, lots of um, great animated theological videos. They've got some really good stuff that just make the Bible and theology and God's word really clear and really approachable. But uh, they say this, this is a beautiful little summary here. The Bible story begins with God appointing humans as royal images, that is representatives who will rule creation on his behalf and in partnership with him. Humanity is a glorious being, destined for even greater glory, to rule over heaven and earth and all of its animals as an expression of the love and creative power of God. But tragically, humanity forfeits this destiny when we are deceived by dark spiritual powers and lured into embracing our own self-destruction. Humanity seizes the authority to define good and evil by our own wisdom. As the Cain and Abel story shows, humans are now threatened by the power of sin, which is described as an animal that wants to devour us. As the, the um, sorry, Cain gives in to this animalistic urge and murders his brother, and so begins the descent of humanity from their true calling. Instead of ruling the animals, they've now become animals fighting and killing each other in order to survive and exalt themselves at the expense of others. That's a great summary right there of the the whole gospel story and and the the effect that that sin has had on us. I think this this man in in chapter 2, this paralyzed man with um, his paraplegia or quadriplegia or whatever it is he's had, it's a good metaphor for sin and the effects upon us. You think about someone with quadriplegia. They've got limbs that don't work, their arms don't work, their legs don't work, their whole body is paralyzed and they are dependent on others to do everything, everything for them. 
Every person in their life must meet this person's physical needs in some way. You think about it. You imagine if, if your whole body was paralysed, you would, you would be dependent on others to meet your every physical need. You know, they are unable to run, they are unable to jump, they are unable to do things they were created to do and there is nothing they can do about it. They are stuck in their quadriplegia. That's physical quadriplegia. Sin is, is spiritual quadriplegia, isn't it? You know, it affects all of who we are as human beings. Our will, our soul, our bodies, our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our health, and of course, most importantly, our relationship with God. When, when someone is paralysed, the, the nerves in their spinal cord are unable to communicate between their, their brain and their limb due to a, a severing or an injury to the spinal cord. And of course, sin is the, the severing of the communication cord between us and God a, and the life of God that was to flow to us to provide instruction and wisdom and knowledge of God. It's cut. And there's, there's no communication and we become paralyzed and we no longer hear God and we no longer see God and we no longer know God and we are unable to rule and reign as true representatives in the way God planned for us. Now think about it. If you were completely paralyzed and someone didn't take care of your every physical need, your, your food, your, your personal hygiene, your, your toileting, whatever it is, it would be a disaster, wouldn't it? It would be a disaster. You would die. Now imagine the man in this story. He was dependent on his friends for everything. Even, even to get to Jesus, he needed his friends, didn't he? In our sinful or broken state, we can really only ever take from others. Others in the world exist only to meet my needs when I'm in my sinful, broken state. The world must revolve around me because I'm so broken and we are unable to, to give or to love others or God appropriately. Do you know people like that? There are people who are so needy that every person in their life must exist to help them, to fix them, to look after them, whether it be their spouse, their children, their friends, their church, their pastor, their employer, their community. And if it looks like someone might not be there for them every time and in all ways, then crisis and disaster erupts. I've lost count of the number of conversations I've had with people who are so deeply paralysed by their, their brokenness that, that they're unable to work. They're unable to perform basic daily living tasks, shopping, cooking, cleaning. They're unable to form meaningful friendships. They're separated and estranged from their family. They're constantly complaining about others and how far short they fall. You know, negativity rules their life. Do you know anyone and, uh, that, that, that negativity just seems to rule their life? They are always complaining. Others are always at fault. If someone lets them down in a small or minor way, then this is a major hurt. And, and they are just stuck and they are immobile and life's problems keep becoming big problems. And they struggle to work their way through issues or conflicts or fears. And there's no breakthrough and there's no recovery. And day after day, people like this keep lying 
on their mat, paralysed by life. Paralysed in their broken soul and their broken spirit. Paralysed in their sin. But haven't we all been in this place? Hmm? Paralysed by our sin. Unable to choose what is good and right and healthy. Trapped in our own doubt, our anger, our fear, our confusion, our guilt, our self-focus, our insecurity, our past mistakes, our biggest regrets, ignoring God, hating God, making choices that further paralyze us, choices that increase our sin and our brokenness and the shame that's in our lives, making choices that further separate us from our loving creator, God. Without Jesus, this is where we all stay. On the mat, paralyzed, broken, unable to free ourselves or fix ourselves or help ourselves. Haven't we all been there lying, paralyzed in our sin on the mat? And you know, even with Jesus in our life, don't we sometimes get tempted to get down and lie on the mat again? Jesus comes and offers a new way, a better way. It's what Jesus does. Mark chapter 2 verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The, the paralyzed man, he's, he's taken to Jesus by his friends. And they all know that this man, Jesus, is his answer. And it seems like it's a large group that, that brings this man. It says that some man came and four of them were carrying him. So I'm guessing there's more than four people there. And they are so certain that Jesus will help, that Jesus is the answer, if they can only just get him in front of Jesus. And so they dig a hole in the roof. I mean, that's crazy desperate right there, isn't it? I mean, I don't know, I was thinking, did they have tools up there? I don't know. I mean, did they use their bare hands? Were they just like scraping through the ceiling with their, their, their hands? How long did it take them? Were they out there for 10 minutes? Were they out there for five hours? And, and what about the people inside? Like, did Jesus and everyone inside realize what was going on up on the roof? Could they hear? Did they just think that there were rats in the ceiling? I don't know. I, I'm wondering how the whole roof didn't collapse, actually. But I'm guessing these people knew a bit about building architecture or something and knew kind of the right bit in the roof to dig. I, I don't know. Um, the thing that's got me intrigued, big hole in the roof to lower the man down. And I can, I can still see the Sunday school flannel graphs with, you know, the little um, actions, the little man coming down through the hole in the roof. You, you're hearing me, you probably had the same flannel graphs, didn't you, Glenn? Yeah. Um, and down through the hole in the roof. And, and I'm thinking... Did they fix the hole afterwards? Like, what happened to the hole afterwards? Or, or, do you reckon Jesus did another miracle? Like, you know, like, just did a miracle of healing the hole in the roof or something? Uh, I'm itching to know, I don't know, maybe one day I'll find out. What, what do you think the man expected from Jesus, though? I don't know, we are assuming he expected to be healed, but we don't exactly know what he was expecting from Jesus. But, the, but what he did know 
was that Jesus was his answer. He needed to get to Jesus. And Jesus recognizes their faith. Jesus sees that, that, that they know that their answer is only found in him. And Jesus knows exactly, exactly what this man needs. And, you know, Jesus knows exactly what you need too. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. What was it like for you? The day you reached out to Jesus, put your trust in him to answer your life's biggest questions and needs. The day Jesus saw your faith and said to you, child, your sins are forgiven. Child, your sins are forgiven. I wonder... Is there still sin in your life that paralyzes you today? You know, it's time to allow Jesus to take that away. No longer does it need to define you or have a voice in your life. Will you allow Jesus to bring closure and healing to that part of your life? Child, your sins are forgiven all you are pure before God without blemish without imperfection you are clean your past does not exist it does not define you because Jesus has said your sins are forgiven you know, maybe, maybe you're struggling with this because you still feel so defined by your past, by your personality, by your imperfections. You know, you know in your head that Jesus has forgiven you, but sin still seems so big in your life. Perhaps there is still that past sin, those past experiences, those past choices that are keeping you paralyzed on the mat. You know, one of my um, little past little traumas that still affects me today, experience of eating too many um, licorice all sorts. I mean... Christmas, 10-year-old child, Nana's house. And uh, she'd bought bags and bags of licorice all sorts. And uh, we could eat as many as we wanted. So we did. <laughs> we felt so sick. And then if that experience wasn't enough, wasn't traumatic and, and life-changing enough, uh, fast forward 10, 12 years or so, and I'm married, and Steve and I are visiting his, his dad and his stepmom. Licorice all sorts, Christmas, open slather, what do we do? We eat too many. You know, to this day, I cannot think of licorice all sorts without fear and nausea coming up, rising up within me. And, um, you know, my, my experience of the past, okay, affects my present. I, I, am, I am still probably not free of the trauma of layers of cheap licorice interspersed with artificially coloured fondant 
it haunts me. In seriousness, though, okay, in seriousness, there is, there is stuff in my past that has the power to affect my present. And that's the same with you, isn't it? And if I don't allow Jesus to forgive me and to free me, it will keep causing me fear and grief. I need to come to Jesus because he has authority over my sin. He has authority over my sin because he is God. Mark 2, verse 10 to 11, chapter 2, 10 to 11. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now, when we are talking about Jesus having the power to free this world from its sin, we are talking about something far bigger than just morality, far greater than just making us into nice people or good people. And Jesus does that, but he does far, far more. When Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man, he's referring to himself as the Messiah, as the one sent by God, the one who is God himself, with the ability and the authority to put into action God's plans for a freed and fulfilled humanity. This is not just about getting to heaven when you die. This is not just about your ticket to heaven. This is not just about living forever. This is not just about dealing with the stuff in your life you don't like and you think are holding you back. This is not just about making you a nice person. This is about restoring God's ideal plans and purposes for his creation and you are part of that. This stuff includes you but it's also far bigger than you. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. It's the death of Jesus that obtains our freedom from the kingdom of evil. It's the the death of Jesus that ties up the strong man, that removes our guilty and rebellious nature. Do you know in the kingdom of evil, you're always going to fall short, you're always going to remain in guilt, and you're never going to be free. You know that, don't you? But in the kingdom of God, our sin can be forgiven, and we can get up and we can walk free. Which kingdom would you rather live in? Which kingdom would you rather live in? Do you believe that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin? Exactly three people believe that, it would seem. Do you believe that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin? Yes. Amen. You know, some people don't believe. In this story, it's the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, who reject Jesus and, and his authority over sin. Mark, Mark 2, 6 and 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
They rejected the authority of Jesus and his declaration that he was one with authority over, over sin. And that's because, of course, only God can forgive sin. And if Jesus is claiming to forgive sin, then he's also claiming to be God. The Pharisees had a religious mindset that stopped them seeing Jesus for who he really was. Stopped them receiving forgiveness and the freedom from sin that Jesus offered. A religious mindset says, I need to make my own righteousness. I can't trust Jesus or anyone else there to make me righteous. You know, I think I've been guilty of that sometimes. You know, I try to fix myself. I, I try to kind of clean myself up a bit, remove my own sin. I'll use all of my natural abilities to do that, my analytical mind, my determination, my problem solving, my goal setting, my self-discipline, hey, my self-counsel. You know, I try, I try all of that to remove my sin and, and, and to make myself kind of righteous and, a, and a better, you know, better before God. It doesn't work, by the way, in case you've been trying that too doesn't work you know it just makes your problems bigger the other thing we try and do is we ignore or repress or try and refocus our sin we kind of shove it to the side we we build a kind of a psychological wall around it we keep busy to avoid it we do things that make us feel good so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves we distract ourselves we pretend that it's not there. Sin will keep festering unless you put it to death, unless it's brought out into the antiseptic light of the sun. However you deal with sin, if it's not with Jesus, then you are like the rebellious teachers in Mark. A rebellious person has a few characteristics about them. The first thing a rebellious person has is rules about who's included. They have rules about who's included. So you're a rebellious person. If you think that the kingdom of God is just for good people or if you have strict rules about who can be or who is forgiven. You see, the religious teachers were pretty certain that, that uh, sinners and tax collectors were out of God's kingdom and they were in. And... And this was based on, on people's position in society and their ability to keep the rules and their ability to do the right thing. So when you think that people are in or out of God's kingdom based upon their behavior, based upon the things that they do, then, then you're a religious person. A religious person has rules about uh, behavior, about the things that you must do to remain in God's favor. Do you have a quiet little list of things that you think people must do to remain in God's favour? Sometimes we do. If you were to read, uh, have a, a read in Mark chapter 3 and chapter 7, you, you'd see the, the Pharisees getting in a bit of a flap about uh, rules about the Sabbath and rules about ceremonial cleaning. I think we have our own versions of some of these things. When your faith life is more about the rules you keep than the person you know, and you're a religious person. A religious person also has a stubborn heart. A stubborn heart. Um, chapter, chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. Let's have a quick look at that one.
Oh, Jesus looked at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. You know, you are so sure you are right, and you are doing right, that you wouldn't change your beliefs if God himself came down from heaven and told you a new way. Hmm? Anyone here, when you follow a recipe, you think, oh, I always know, right? The recipe, that, that, that doesn't really know what should be happening. I know what should be happening. Anyone here? I, I don't think I ever, really ever fully follow a recipe, ever. You know, you can, yeah, I bet, Cindy, you don't either, do you? Hey? You do to begin with. You are obedient. My goodness, I'm feeling incredibly rebellious right now. Um, you know, I'm always right. I know how much cooking time and what temperature and how much seasoning uh, needs to get added to the recipe. Uh, it's okay to have a stubborn heart when it comes to recipes and cooking pulled barbecue beef, but, but it's not okay when it comes to matters of what is good versus what is sinful. And, and when you won't allow Jesus to modify your attitudes and your way of seeing the world, then you are a religious person. And I loved how Benita during communion sort of told us about how, you know, as, as you journey with Jesus, it's going to change you and, and the fruit of the Spirit should be growing in your life. We should be open and, 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 and um, have a soft heart to God's ongoing work, modifying us, changing us, transforming us. And when we won't allow Jesus to do that, if we are still the same person today that we were five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, then do you know what? You, you may well be a religious person. A religious person. Next thing, a religious person has a hypocritical heart. If you're more worried about doing things right before man than God, if you appear to have it all together in front of your work colleagues, your friends, your church, uh, you know, maybe in public you're a great parent, you're a nice guy, but at home in your private life, maybe you're full of the exact opposite. Doubt, maybe you're full of uh, anger, you're greedy, you talk about others, you're full of arrogance or self-importance. Maybe you make foolish decisions with your money or time or even immoral choices when no one is looking. I remember uh, quite a few years ago, there was a, a guy who would always be worshipping so wholeheartedly at church. You know, he was the fella kind of front, sort of not quite front row, but a few rows down, you know, the entire worship session was sort of like he was about to break out into star jumps, you know, and he was worshipping. And when there'd be the quiet time and, and maybe an opportunity for someone to pray, his voice would always boom out with the biggest, mightiest, eloquent prayer ever. And I used to always think he was a bit fake and over the top, but I tried my darnest not to judge, you know. And uh, one day... One day, his inner world collided with his outer world. And he was helping to lead a ministry, and, and he ended up making a few immoral choices. I tell you what, I'm glad I wasn't the pastor dealing with that mess. Sooner or later, sooner or later, your, your, your inner world will collide with your outer world if you're a religious person and have a hypocritical heart. If you're not willing to confess your inner chaos and bring it out in the open for Jesus to free, then you are a religious person. We've got to be honest here. 
We're only lying to ourselves. God knows where you're at. You're a religious person if you have a doubting heart. You question Jesus' ability to forgive you. I won't read it, but uh, chapter 11, verse 28. Actually, I will. 11, verse 28. 11, 28. And so we've got the Pharisees saying, By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And and who gave you the authority to do this? They were questioning Jesus' authority to forgive. Some people... And, and maybe there's some people here today think that they are uniquely broken or uniquely bad. And while God can forgive and free other people from their sin, he's not going to do it for you. you know, Jesus either has authority over all sin and all people or none at all. It can't just be some. It can't just be some sin, some people. Some of my sin, but not all of my sin. Some of my brokenness, but not all of my brokenness. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Do not doubt. Jesus has authority over all of who you are. You know, it can be tempting to think that that, that Jesus won't or can't conquer the brokenness that is in your life the inner chaos, your secret lusts, because it seems so firmly lodged in you. When you won't come to Jesus with your your sin because you doubt that he has real authority to conquer it, then you know what? You are a religious person. Let's contrast the religious person with that of the sinner. Mark chapter 2. 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So here they are, the characteristics of a sinner. A sinner will take Jesus at his word. Jesus calls and fellowships with sinners. When, when Jesus said to Levi, come, come on, come and follow me. Does Levi get into a big discussion with Jesus about whether he's ready, whether he's acceptable, is he really hearing Jesus? Does he really deserve to follow Jesus? Because you know he's a tax collector and he's a sinner. You know, does Jesus really want me to follow him? Levi just gets up and follows Levi just gets up and believes Jesus and follows. You know, Jesus is the sin doctor. If you've got sin, you go to the sin doctor. And you've got to believe that he will sort things out for you. Don't don't be like me when I go to the doctor and I've already figured out what's wrong with me and and I'm pretty sure that the doctor won't give me the best advice because, you know, I know better. eh? Take, Take your doctor at your word. It's just an area Jesus is working on in me, you know. Uh, Take take Jesus at his word. He is the sin doctor. A sinner knows they cannot fix themselves. This paralyzed man, he couldn't walk, 
couldn't change his life, couldn't even get to Jesus without a bit of help, could he? That's how broken he was. For some of us, it's, it's really obvious how much sin paralyzes our life. For others, it can be a bit of a process to realize how much we need Jesus. It really is. I mean, we get fed this line in society, oh, I'm a good person. And I think sometimes we start to believe it. The catch cry society, you know, he's a good person. We, we, we don't really think we need Jesus or God or Christianity. You know, Jesus says, no, I have not come to call the righteous. He, he isn't calling religious people. He isn't calling Pharisees because that's not how you get into God's kingdom. If you want to be part of God's kingdom, the only thing that will get you in there is by coming to Jesus as a sinner. Coming to Jesus as a righteous person is never going to get you into God's kingdom. You need to confess your need for him to fix you and make you righteous. Here's the next thing. A sinner is desperate. And I don't think sometimes we're nearly desperate enough. You know, a sinner, you, you, you're willing to risk all and make a fool of yourself to receive forgiveness. To make a fool of yourself to receive healing and freedom. I mean, think about that man on the mat. He lowered down through the roof, dangling there. Huge crowds staring, looking on, shocked, talking. I mean, what if Jesus is angry for the interruption? What if the mob turns on you for interrupting their prime viewing position? You know, it's a bold and risky plan to dangle from the ceiling in front of Jesus. But you're desperate. And you'll dangle naked there if you have to. He wants healing at any cost. And so he comes willing to be embarrassed and willing to be vulnerable before others. Here's the challenge for us. It's a challenge for you. When was the last time you came to another person and confessed your sin and your imperfection and your weaknesses and asked their help to pray with you, to counsel you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to speak into your life? It usually takes a bit of desperation before we'll humble ourselves enough to do that. James 5.6 says, Therefore, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. We're told to confess our sins to one another. You know, and, and doing that, believe me, believe me, I know, doing that feels like you're, you're, you're running naked through a football stadium. And, you know, even though it might only be one person sitting in the stands, it may as well be 10,000. That's how naked you feel. And now you're all sitting there imagining yourself running naked through a football stadium, aren't you? <laughs> Have, that's the thing, it's, it's not glamorous. It's, it's undignifying it's ugly it's horrendous even and that's what it feels like to come face to face with your inner brokenness and the dark crevices of your soul 
Have you ever confessed your sins and your brokenness and your failings to another person so that they might pray with you and you might be healed? Finally, the, the, the goodness of the gospel is that you might come to Jesus as a sinner, but he does not leave you as one. He does not leave you as one. Jesus forgives you and he frees you. He doesn't leave us paralyzed in our sin. He tells us to get up and walk. Mark 2, 10 to 12, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. When Jesus frees you from your sins, you get up and you walk out in full view of everyone. Amazing everyone at the miraculous change in who you are. And do you know what? This results in the praise of God. Forgiveness, you know, forgiveness that leaves someone paralyzed and living in the kingdom of evil. Is that praiseworthy? Is that praiseworthy? No, Jesus both frees and fixes us. No longer is your identity sinner. No longer are you the paralyzed one on that mat. You are now the one who gets up and walks. And we live a life of victory over sin and freedom from guilt. We place our faith and trust in Jesus to deal with our sin and our brokenness. And you know what? We will see miracles in our life. These miracles are a witness to others about the goodness and the authority of Jesus over our sin. Do you want to see a miracle in your life? Our changed lives demonstrate both Jesus' ability to forgive sin and his ongoing work to free us from the results of sin. Forgiveness, it's only half of the equation. It's only half of the equation because Jesus now says to you, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Stop living like you are still paralyzed in your sin. Stop thinking that you are still broken. Stop thinking you are still, you know, your old self. You are healed. You are set free. You are restored. You are made strong. Get up and start walking. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. He makes us to be a kingdom and priests who serve, who rule and reign in this world. We are partners with God's plan for this world. You, know, you might ask, why doesn't God do something about the suffering in this world? Well, he has. That he has. He's, he's put you here. He's forgiven you. He's restored you. And he's filled you with his spirit. So get up, walk out of here, and do something about the suffering in this world. You might say, why doesn't God do something about homeless people, about addictions, about relationship breakdowns? 
Well, he has. He's forgiven you. He's restored you. He's filled you with his spirit. So get up, walk out of here and do something. Introduce people to Jesus. Love on them. Serve them. What's our mission? What's our mission here, CSC Coleman? There's three words. Love, acceptance, forgiveness. Love, acceptance, forgiveness. To have a point of connection with every home in the Coolerman Shire, meeting needs and bringing love, acceptance and forgiveness in Jesus' name. You get to be part of that mission. Don't, don't stay lying on your mat. Don't stay sitting in your, your chair when Jesus is saying you can get up. Why would you stay lying down? Why would you keep thinking uh, that you're paralyzed by sin when Jesus says that you are not? When Jesus says he's made you a priest to serve his father. You know, he, he loves you too much. He loves you too much to leave you lying on that mat. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? He loves you too much to leave you lying on that mat. He loves you too much to say that you're forgiven, but leave you suffering in your sin and your brokenness and your shame. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. He's made us to be mediators of forgiveness and restoration to this broken world. And we follow in Jesus' footsteps. He modelled it. Never, we follow never because we must. Never because we must. Always because we want to. It's the natural outworking of the new identity he has given you. I wonder, do you have some business that you need to do with Jesus this afternoon? Do you have some business that you need to do with Jesus this afternoon? Some areas of brokenness, sin, shame, guilt, past regrets, mistakes. Do you need to, in some way, respond to Jesus' invitation to get up off your mat and to start to walk? Maybe you realize that you've been lying on that mat, paralyzed in your sin, thinking that you are still broken, not really being sure if you're forgiven. I have this feeling, even though we've been walking with Jesus a long time, most of us, that there's, there's still some business we need to transact with God this afternoon. And do you know why I know that? Do you know why I know that? Because I know what goes on inside of me. And I'm thinking if it goes on inside of me, it probably goes on inside of other people too. Am I right? Yeah. So what I'm going to say, and, and, and here's where we're going to get practical. Here's where we are actually going to get up. We're not going to walk out of here yet. Don't go yet. But what I'm going to say to you, before I'm going to pray, but before I pray, what I want to say to you is, you know, if you want to, I guess, take that active step of faith and say, you know what, Jesus, there is some stuff in my life that you need to fix and heal, and I'm getting a bit desperate, Jesus. 
because I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm sick of lying on that mat in my shame and my brokenness and my sin. And you, Jesus, are the only one that can make a difference in my life. And I need you, Jesus, and I don't care if I've got a dangle naked upside down from a ceiling in front of everybody. You know, I'm desperate, Jesus. I need you to come and remove my shame and my sin and my guilt and my brokenness and my condemnation and all that is holding me paralyzed because I want to get up and I want to walk out of here a free new person and I want to go out and minister your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your acceptance to the world out there because I know that that's what you have called me to do and right now I'm just not doing that in the way that you would have me to do. And if that's you today, can we have some, some music? Cindy gets to be the first person who stands up. See? She's standing. Oh, okay. Um, Cindy's going to start to play. And you know, if that's you today, if you're like, you know what, Jesus, I, 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 I need to make a stand and I need to come to you in faith and I need to say, I, you've got to do something, Jesus. I, I don't want to live like this. If that's you, I'm going to ask that, that, that you stand. I'm going to ask you to come out the front and stuff. But I'm just going to say stand if that's you. If there is stuff in your life that you need to bring to Jesus this afternoon, if you're uh, desperate to get up off that mat, I'd say stand. I'd say don't, don't feel embarrassed. Don't allow that to stop you. Letting Jesus do what he can and wants to do in your life. He has an amazing plan. He has an amazing plan. And don't don't let pride, don't let a religious vibe hold you back. Let's just bring our all to Jesus. So if that's you, just just stand up and I'm going to pray. And I'm standing. I'm standing. Because I know that Sometimes I'm tempted to lie down on that mat, paralyzed, thinking I'm broken. And I know that he has called me to be part of his kingdom, to be a priest that mediates his love and grace to a broken world out there. Father, we stand here before you, confessing that we are not righteous people. We are sinners in need of a touch of Jesus. And we just invite you, Jesus, to come and touch all of the the, the parts in us that, that need to be forgiven, that need to be restored, that need to be made new. We just receive your your forgiveness this afternoon, Lord God Almighty. We humble ourselves before you, Jesus.
We know that you are the only way we can enter into new life in your kingdom. And we want that more than anything else. And Lord Jesus, we confess that sometimes we we lie paralyzed on that mat and we doubt you, Jesus. We doubt that you can really forgive and, and restore and set free all of our past, all of that stuff that still seems to swirl inside of us. And we just confess that, that, that we don't want to doubt you anymore, Jesus. And, and we just confess that this afternoon we are hearing your voice that says, Child, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat, get up and walk. So Lord God, would you just give us a fresh touch of your spirit. May we just know that we are freed We are made whole. We are made strong. We are filled with your spirit. May we get up and walk out of here with new boldness of faith, new courage, newfound freedom, and just an overflowing of grace in our lives. May we just um, not hold back. We are your righteous people and we do not shrink back. We do not shrink back. May we not shrink back this week in all that you have called us to do. And so we just, we just rely and trust upon your word to us, Jesus, that you have forgiven us, you have freed us, and you have told us to get up and walk. And we declare that we are a kingdom of priests, mediating your new covenant to this world, to this community. May we have an opportunity this week to meet needs, to bring love and acceptance and forgiveness to our friends, to our work colleagues, to our families. Holy Spirit, just light a new fire in our life. May we just hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we be holy um, uh, vessels consecrated to you only for your purposes, for no other purposes. May we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And and Lord God Almighty, would you make us golden and silver uh, utensils in your household. Scrape away all the dross. Take away all that is old. And may we just shine with the radiant glory of Jesus. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.